the Nifty Podcast presented by Partyfish Media, a showcase of the best emerging filmmakers under the age of 25 from all over the world. Film starts here at the virtual Nifty 2020 from Seattle, Washington. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Robert Bohorkas. I'm part of the programming team for Nifty. I program the experimentals. Um, and I'm very excited uh, to be joined by a filmmaker that was uh, their film won our one of our experimental film awards at the last festival. Um, also won the audience award for the centerpiece screening in Nifty 2020. Um, I'm very excited to be joined by the filmmaker behind this film to the girl that looks like me. Arequa, would you introduce yourself here to get us started? Yeah, hi. My name is Arequa Dawson-Amoa, and I am the director of To the Girl That Looks Like Me. Yeah, and I'm um, so excited to to be talking and be able to talk a little bit more about this film. Um, and so just to kind of, um, for folks that maybe haven't seen it yet that are listening, um, can you tell us just a little bit about, like, give us a summary, a little bit of a logline for, for what the film is? Yeah, sure. So To the Girl That Looks Like Me is an experimental film. Uh, it's a visual poem that follows multiple vignettes of Black women, and it just highlights and celebrates Black women and our ability to thrive in a system that wasn't built for us. So that's like the short rundown of what to expect from the film. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and I just, you know, before we kind of get into it, I, I love the the vignette approach because, I mean, it gives kind of this, this broad spectrum of um, you know aspects of, of that experience and and I, I think the the poem that kind of connects everything I think it works it works really well it's this great fully formed but with multiple parts kind of um, oh call it a visual experience um, I guess um, but but yeah so to kind of um, obviously this is rooted in in I assume your experience and, you know, kind of family experience and everything like that. But I'm I'm curious kind of how the development of this kind of started, you know, where the idea for presenting it in this way came from. And yeah, tell us a little bit about kind of the origin of the film. Yeah, for sure. So I had been writing poetry for as long as I can remember for like, since I was a kid, I wrote poetry. Uh, but for some reason, when I got to college, I just like kind of stopped writing poetry because I thought that, okay, I want to be a film director. All of my stuff has to be narrative. Um, I can't really dip into that world anymore now that I've decided I want to do this. Um, so for my senior year, I was kind of I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for my final project and what kind of story I wanted to tell. And I just could not come with a narrative idea like for the life of me. And later that day, I was just like on Google and I was looking up like vacation rentals or something like that because I was going to go on vacation later that year. And I remember this article popping up that said, the hottest new vacation styles, check it out now. And the second vacation hairstyle was... Um, it was a picture of Kim Kardashian and she had cornrows, but the, the hairstyle mm -hmm. was called boxer braids in the article. And I remember looking at it and immediately almost being transported to my elementary school years um, because I remember the exact day that I was sent to school with cornrows for the very first time and how much I was teased, how much I was like pointed at, how much people were like, ew, like what's going on with your hair? Why does your hair look like that? And now I was looking at an article with someone who had no cultural tie to this hairstyle at all and was almost being credited as the 
as the maker of this really traditional African hairstyle. And I just remember being so angry. Um, and so that night I like started to kind of write a poem, but I was just so angry that I was like, I'm just gonna go to bed. And um, when I went to bed, I had this nightmare and it was, um, I was like six years old again and I was getting my hair braided in the center of Grand Central Station. And so people were like walking around me, they were like pointing at me, they were laughing at me. And it was like I was in elementary school again, only I was like on this bigger scale. I was in the middle of Grand Central Station having this hairstyle done. Um, And I remember waking up and I was like, whoa, like that was weird. Let me write this down. And I I wrote it down. And um, that's what gave me the idea for the very first poem that you hear in that opening scene. Um, And obviously I couldn't shoot in Grand Central Station, but it, it gave me the idea of a woman getting her hair braided and having it come from this really intimate like action that happens in the home and putting it on a bigger scale mm-hmm. where she's being observed and she's being looked at and she's being pointed at. And then at the end, the style is stolen from her completely. So that's like what started the idea for the film as a whole. So it started with that opening mm-hmm. home and then it just branched out from there. So I started to think about different aspects of my life growing up in a predominantly white town as an African girl um, and the different things that I almost had to prove and work through to get to where I am today and like to get to a place where I'm comfortable and confident in my heritage and like my skin. Um, So it started with a nightmare and then it transformed into the rest of the film. So I wanted to go from like Mm -hmm. this nightmare feeling into like almost this dreamlike feeling and then ending on a positive note. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's I mean, that's incredible. Just um that that journey of of kind of finding what this was going to be um that's that's so cool uh especially anytime anytime that it's like i had a dream about this too is, is <laughs> i love stories like that and so uh yeah and um I'm I'm curious what the what the, kind of the production timeline like how long uh, obviously you know this is a senior fi- or I mean you said this is a senior film um, mm-hmm. and so I'm curious you know from how long of a timeline from from you know I guess having <laughs> having that nightmare to a finished film you know how how much time was that for um, every stage of production there it was not a lot of time so like I said I didn't know what I wanted to do until like last minute so I came up with the idea like the middle of September. And Mm -hmm. so like by the end of September, I had like my fleshed out idea and I I had until December to actually like shoot the film. Um, So I knew knew the first thing that I needed to focus on was casting um, because the previous year I had a film and I wanted to cast two African sisters for the lead roles and I couldn't find them on the casting platforms that I was that I was given from school. And I ended up having to completely compromise that film and like change the script, change the character names. Mm -hmm. And I just knew that I didn't want that to happen again. And so um, for the casting, I went to like my school and my church. I went to non-actors first because I kind of wanted to give them first dibs on this project, especially girls that may have had similar experiences as me. Um, So I went to my church, I went to my old school and I just went to my community first for the casting of this project. Mm -hmm. Um, And also because I knew like, especially in that opening scene, I wanted there to be 
at least 30 um, background talent for that scene. So I started with them next. So I casted the lead roles and then I went to the background talent. And because it was such a heavy scene and um, the women who acted in that scene were quote unquote the villains of the scene, Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that the people I was casting um, believed in the project and knew what I was trying to do and the story I was trying to tell. Um, So I actually ended up either meeting everyone that I casted for coffee or like talking to them over the phone. And I would just talk to them about the idea and about the project. And based on the, like the vibe I got, I guess, and like how they responded to um, the topic and how they responded to me, then I would decide if I wanted to cast them for the role or Mm -hmm. not. Um, So I ended up actually casting for that opening scene. I knew I wanted 30 women. So I casted 60 and then 32 showed up. So it was kind of like, I already knew that there was going to be this, like numbers game with the casting front. And so to, I guess, combat that, I just made sure that I was meeting people in person and like making genuine connections before I brought anyone on to the project. Yeah, that's 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 amazing. And and I was going to obviously get into um, the casting just because there's, there's so much going on here. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that attention to detail and just making sure that everybody's on board is... Um, Almost, almost feels like a luxury, you know what I mean? Where it's like sometimes you don't have, you get control over the leads, but everybody else is, you know, a much mm-hmm. wider net. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, so um, I'm also curious, did, I, I know I saw your name in the credits, um, and is that, and right underneath your name, is is that your mom? Or I'm curious who the relative is that has the same last name as yours in the credits. Oh, that's my sister. Your sister, okay. <laughs> that's my sister, yeah. So um, that was for the scene in in the woods. Um, I okay. it, was, it was the middle of November, and I knew that I wanted a scene um, with a woman in the woods who eventually goes into a river. And it was the middle of November. It was very cold. Um, and so I didn't want to, like, put any of my actors in that position. So nice. I called up my sister, and I was like, hey. <laughs> would you be open to doing the scene with me and she was like i hate you but sure and so yeah that, that's who it is <laughs> well that's just that's a sibling relationship you know let's 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 freeze together. yeah for sure <laughs> um and then um there's the other the other shot that has kind of all these generations in it um you know there's the with the baby and everything so i mean how is casting that were those um all mm-hmm. totally disparate folks or are they were there relations in there? I mean, it's set up as kind of this family portrait, um, and I'm I'm just curious how mm-hmm. the casting for that also kind of vignette in specific um, was. So everyone, I everyone in that scene is from my church, and the woman holding the baby was. Um, really the person that got me into writing when I was younger. She was my mentor for a really long time. Um, And she's the reason that I like continue to write poetry and I continue to um, do these things. So I knew I wanted her in the scene. Um, And uh, the very first time that I like, told my parents I wanted to go into film was because I acted in one of her plays. And the person I played in that specific play, her name was Savannah Grace. Um, And the name was Savannah Grace because she really wanted a daughter. So she like wrote this play, named it Savannah Grace because she really wanted a daughter. I played that role. And then years down the line, she ends up having a daughter named Savannah Grace. And so that's the baby that you see in the scene. So it was kind Um. of like this full circle moment um, of like, here's my mentor and a long time ago like I acted in one of her plays and I played this particular character name and now she has a baby with this name and this is the very first film that that baby's in so um so that's the relation there and then 
the people around are um, people that also acted in her place. So people that she had some type of impact on um, in the art sphere. Um, and then a couple of the little girls on the top row, this was actually their first like ever like art anything production. Um, and they were the people that I just wanted to give the opportunity to be in film because they hadn't seen it before and they didn't really know that girls that look like them could be in film. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that scene's actually really, really special to me because everyone in the scene um, had an impact on me growing up. Yeah, so it is kind of a family shot when you, if you think about it, a different kind of family. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. that's, that's awesome. Um, and so um, I also noticed um, that um, the score for the score for the film um, is you and um, and a collaborator. Um, oh, I didn't write their name down. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I'm curious the development of of the score. You know when that started happening um, in you know kind of tandem with everything else um, and just collaborating on that mm-hmm. because I know a lot of your background is also in sound design and and score composing. So. Um, yeah, tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about about you know writing the score, working with somebody on that. Yeah, so um, the score, yeah, so it's me and my um, collaborator. His name's Adelaide, um, and we've been close like ever since freshman year, and we've always worked on the music for my films. This particular score, um, the opening scene, like that song, um, I wanted it to feel like a nightmare, and I wanted it to feel like. Um, like there's like there's certain elements of the score where you hear like the strings coming in and they kind of sound like giggles mm-hmm. um, or you'll hear like chimes and they kind of have this eerie feeling. Um, and I don't I don't remember the exact moment that I got the idea for that score, but I was like walking down the street um, and I heard someone laugh and their laugh just like had this really this really interesting sound to me. And I like got out my voice recorder and I just like hummed out what their laugh sounded like. And I went home and I like put it into um, like GarageBand and on my computer. And I just like started playing around with that sound and like different strings and different um, like low tones to build that like scary, dreamlike, nightmarish feel. Um, And then the rest of the piece, I wanted it to go from, like I said, like a nightmare into like a dreamlike sequence, which is like why in the in the forest scene, like you just hear like this really soft piano sound and like wind noises. Um, And then when it gets faster, I bring in both of those things together. And it's almost like they're kind of like fighting each other um, over the poem. And then in the end, they end on like it just ends on the dreamlike note because I wanted it to end on the happier note, on the uplifting note instead of um the sound that you hear in the beginning so that's um kind of like the mismatched version of how i came to um put the score together hopefully Mm -hmm. that answers your question yeah no i mean that's 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 awesome I'm also, you know, just to kind of get into, um, you know, what would be considered, I guess, the experimental part of the film where there's kind of, you know, this Mm -hmm. spoken word poem over it. Um, There's there's dance elements and kind of the vignette structure. Um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, I guess was this you mentioned, you know, having done having felt like narrative was kind of the path that, you know, you're a little bit railroaded into. I'm curious, like you're you're experience with kind of integrating you know different approaches to kind of to this film and you know kind of instilling that that 
narrative into it through different means you know where there's these dance pieces there's different locations and things so i'm curious just like um what what you think the importance in being able to break out of like traditional narrative structures is and how you think that influenced this film specifically well until this piece like i just never realized that i could do my own thing Uh, i guess it's because like I went to school, like we learned the traditional three act structure. We learned like have your beginning, middle and end, have your inciting um, action, have your like climax, all of that stuff. So whenever I would branch out of that, I almost felt like I was breaking the rules and I wasn't doing the right thing. And so I just kind of put all of those other things that I liked on the back burner because I was like, I want to be a film director, so I have to follow these specific rules. Mm -hmm. And then when I finally wrote the poem and then I had the visuals in my head, it just felt right (laughs) and it made sense. It made sense in a way that, um, that the things that I had been taught up until this point just didn't make sense to me. They just felt really sterile and really um, confined and I didn't like that. And so I just started to think about other things that I really like. So dance, um, like my culture, like colors, like different sounds. And like the more I thought of different elements that I really enjoy, the more I realized like, okay, like there should be no reason why I shouldn't combine all of these things into making this film. Um, And so as I continued to add like different elements and like switch up the way the scenes worked and like putting, like putting the, like the bad part here and like the happy part here and like moving things around and like breaking all of the rules that I had had up until this point, it just felt more right the more I did that. Mm -hmm. And so that was, that was kind of when I realized like, okay, like um, there's no reason for me not to experiment. And I think that sometimes experiment, experimental films kind of get a bad rap because people hear experimenting and they just kind of think, Oh, like they don't, they don't they they just like don't know what they're doing so it's an experimental film mm-hmm. and they don't realize that experimental film is just it's more of like experimenting with your own artistic voice and your own like artistic vision and let and like i, I don't like i'm trying to find a way to construct it because now when i talk about it i get really passionate about it because up until this point um it was almost like narrative was like the cool big sister and experimental was like the funky <laughs> little sister <laughs> i love that um and like and like now like with all of my pieces like even the narrative that I'm currently writing like I have all of these quote-unquote experimental elements where I play with um the three-act structure and I play with the way the characters interact with each other and with their world and that just is more real to me than like following the check boxes if if that makes sense so so it was me like as I implemented like all of these different elements into my film, I realized how much of my voice was finally in my work. And when I realized that, that just like allowed me to continue on on that path. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like, um, you know, kind of this realization that you can give yourself permission to try new things, which is, uh, I mean, which seems weird. Like, why would we get in our own (laughs) way? But, um, but, but yeah, no, I totally see where you're coming from. Um, 
And then uh, before, I've got some other things I want to ask about your career, but kind of the last question I think I have for um, for, for this film specifically is um, obviously the hair and makeup for the film. Um, you know, and, <laughs> you know, working with um, uh, the name was Ramsey. Um, I saw in the in the credits, mm-hmm. um, and just you know, how soon in the process uh, were they involved? And then. You know, how sick are they of doing cornrows now? And um, I guess, you know, and then the makeup design, too, with the pearls. And there's lots of really interesting kind of um, uh, face makeup and everything um, throughout the film. So I'm just curious, mm-hmm. you know, that whole process and, mm-hmm. and working with them and kind of how uh, the the back and forth between that design and the kind of the, the story, the, the, the focus of the film. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Ramsey was on the project from the beginning. We're really close friends. And his background is actually in drag. So he mm-hmm. has so much experience like making his own clothes, making his own costumes and doing these really big, bold, um, almost like these really big artistic looks like that. That was his thing. And um, to an extent, it's funny because if you were to ask him, he would have said that this was like low key compared to what he usually does. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we we collaborated from the beginning. I and our process was really interesting. Like I would read him the poem um and he would come up with the ideas for like what he wanted the looks to look like. So the um the pearls because I talk about pearls in the poem, he mm-hmm. was like, "Okay, we have to have it in the film." And so pearls and gold became like this um this like reoccurring theme in all of the scenes um because I talk about like black girl, you are priceless pearls coming upwards from the sea. So that was the thing that you you can like find um, little like eggs like of pearls in every single scene. Um, and then the costumes, he did all of those on set um, because a lot of the characters he was meeting for the first time. And so he would meet them, he would like get to know them and then he would make their costume. The scene um, in the forest, um, he made my costume like right then and there, like in negative degree weather. Um, wow. And it was it was kind of a crazy process because like he didn't have that much time for each of the scenes, but he had such a good grasp and idea for what I was looking for, and then also how that fit into what his um, like what his creative expression was that it just worked so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so going forward, I'm definitely going to give him a lot more time, um, and hopefully we'll have the luxury of like having our actors like present like months before so we can do fittings and all of that stuff. But he, he was amazing. Um, and we really were able to like work together on our different visions to come together with, with what you see on the screen in the end. Yeah. I I mean, it, it definitely comes together. I, I I thought it was, I mean, it's breathtaking work really. Um, um, and so, yeah, before we um, kind of get to to wrapping up, I do want to ask you about Melacast um, and where, <laughs> you know, this, this is all on the Internet for people to go look at kind of where the origins of, of this comes from and everything. Um, but I'm, I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about it um, and just, you know, um, the the. Imp- I guess the imp- the importance of, um, of of something like that, where you know it's this collaboration between people looking for diverse um, casting opportunities, people looking to put those kind of underrepresented stories out there and and fill it with you know mm-hmm. beautiful people that aren't just white people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I kind of touched on it before, like with that film that I did before this one, where mm-hmm. I wasn't able to find the cast I was looking for, and I ended up having to completely compromise my script. Right. Um, and even now, like I don't, 
I know exactly where that film is on my hard drive, I will never open it up again because I just can't, <laughs> I just can't look at it. Yeah. Um, because to me, like the whole reason I became a film, uh, a filmmaker is because I loved film, but I never saw people that looked like me on the screen. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to become a director to change that. And so um, looking at that film where I, had to do the opposite and I had to compromise and cast um, people that didn't look like me and change my script. That was the moment that I was like, okay, this needs to change. Mm -hmm. So I talked to my teacher and he connected me with a couple other directors that had the same exact issue. And so I just talked to them about their experience. I was like, uh, okay, like I was just trying to figure out like, is the issue that they're really aren't BIPOC actors out there? Or is the issue that we don't have the space to collaborate yet? And the issue is that we just don't have the space to collaborate yet. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people who want to break into this industry just don't know that they can be on sites like Backstage and Actors Access. Um, and even then, um, a problem that a lot of directors were getting is that they would um, post their projects and they would say, like, I'm looking for an Asian actor. I'm looking for um, a black actor and the people who would respond would be white but their um, profile would say can portray and that was something that um. we kept seeing on and on is that people were applying to projects that um didn't fit and they were saying yeah but i can portray this i can portray that um and so that's what got me the idea to start Melacast. So it began as me wanting to connect bipoc directors with bipoc actors because that's um, where I was coming from, I was having that issue and I saw other directors that were having that issue. Um, but then I got on set for the very first time for like a big budget picture. And I realized that the issue wasn't just um, not being able to find BIPOC talent. The issue was also that behind the camera, there still weren't people of color. And so I wanted to um, create a space for BIPOC directors to connect with BIPOC actors and then also for BIPOC crew to be on those mm -hmm. sets. Um, because for me, um, like with To The Girl Looks Like Me, I mentioned that I had to meet every single person that was on my crew before I let them on the project um, because I wanted to make sure that the people on my project were people that cared about my story and cared about um, the stories of people of color. Um, and so Melacast, the way that Melacast comes in is that when people are having these stories that uplift like either their culture or their history, they also have the opportunity to have people behind the camera that understand um, mm -hmm. what they're talking about and what they're um, and what story they're trying to tell, um, because it's not enough to just have people of color in front of the camera, if the people behind the camera are still the same people that have been telling these stories for years mm -hmm. and telling it through their lens and not telling it through an authentic lens. Um, so yeah, so I launched Melacast. Um, I had the idea three years ago, but I finally like sat down, like started it and launched it in June of last year with mm -hmm. my co-founders. Um, and yeah, so our goal is really just to continue to grow our community and to have a space where BIPOC creatives can come together and find their cast and find their crew and not have to compromise anymore. Yeah. And I mean, it's um, it, it reminds me of, you know, there's kind of uh, it was a few months ago now, but um, this the news of, you know, Ava DuVernay launching the Array Now and Array um, crew mm -hmm. services too. It's, I mean, it's amazing that this is all kind of happening at the same time, you know, kind of parallel thinking. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's, it's amazing. I, everyone, everyone go check it out. If you're casting, crewing, go, go to Melacast and check it out. Um, 
So, yeah, um, I guess uh, as we get closer to the end here, um, you know, is there is there anything that you're working on in development on now that um, that you can tell us a little bit about that, you know, people can look forward to? Yeah. So I just wrapped um, another experimental, but a music video this time um, that I did. Um, and so we're in the post-production stages for that. I'm really excited. It's called Gold Token. Um, and that music video was inspired like directly by um, the events of last year um, with the uh, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, those movements that came out. Um, and the reason I um, created this project was because I don't know if you remember like Blackout Tuesday on Instagram mm -hmm. when everyone posted about um, what was going on. But then afterwards, social media kind of just like went back to normal. It's like we did our little piece of activism. We posted our black box and now we're um, going back to our regular scheduled programming. So the, um, the project is about um, the black experience and how um, the media often uses our experiences when it's convenient and when it can help their their brand or their like their particular market but then when it's actually time to continue to show up over and over again for us um the enthusiasm kind of fades away so that's mm -hmm. what that project is about um so i'm really excited to get that out there and then i'm also working on a narrative that um is a psychological thriller called joy house um that's all i'm going to say about it for now i'm really sure. excited about that as well Awesome. Well, we're definitely looking forward to, to seeing that stuff. You got to send us, uh, keep us updated, send us some links um, when that stuff is, is out in the world. Um, and just kind of speaking of where, where can people go to keep up to date with your work? You know, where online can people find you and follow you? Yeah. So uh, my Instagram is at Raekwa, uh, R-A-E-K-U-A. -E my film page is also linked there. And so is the Melacast um, on Instagram. You can find us at themelacast.com or on Instagram at themelacastnet. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and that's where, that's where you can keep up to date with everything that we're doing and everything um, that I'm doing um, now and in the future. Awesome. Um, well, Arikwa, thank you so much for joining for the, for the, for this to talk more about the film and more about the you know the the work that you're working on. Um, it, was, it was great to talk to you and just get to explore more of this. Thank you. And everybody, thank you for listening. For more information on Nifty 2020, the talented youth, and more emerging filmmakers, check out nifty.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at NFFTY or on Instagram at Nifty Film. And for more podcasts from Party Fish Media, search Party Fish Media wherever you listen to podcasts or follow us on social media at Party Fish Media. Party Fish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliot Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.